0: It is good to be back with you, with our church family. We've been away for a couple of weeks, and um, it is a joy to be back with you, to be able to see you, to be able to worship with you, and um, and just to be home. So, thankful to be here this morning. And I've heard very good things as we've been going through this series, uh, focusing upon the sufficiency of God's Word, in, um, in discipleship, and counseling, and so Today, as we continue with that theme, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn to Colossians chapter 3 with me. We're going to begin our reading together in verse 12, and we're going to read down to verse 17. The Apostle Paul is writing under inspiration of the Spirit of Christ, and he says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones... In word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, we give ourselves to you in this moment, asking that you would help us through your spirit to not simply understand this text, but Lord, that we might apply this text to our own lives, that we might be different. Today, as a result of thinking deeply about it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin this examination of this passage, I think it's important for us to kind of have a little bit of an overall idea of what Paul is trying to do in the book of Colossians. And um, at the very beginning of the letter, Paul offers a word of thanksgiving. He's very thankful for the people in Colossae. And he's thankful because of their faith. He's thankful because of their, their love for one another. And he's, he's thankful also for the hope that they have within them uh, that has been explained widely in, in the region in Colossae. And he's also heard uh, of their faithfulness because of one man, one man in particular by the name of Epaphras. And uh, many believe that Epaphras, who was a, a co-worker with Paul, uh, was the one who actually planted this church in Colossae. But nevertheless he's heard about the ministry that is going on there and he's excited about what God is doing and he he rejoices that the Colossians they're not just people that are hearing and sitting in the pew as if they had pews but they're people that are actively engaged in sharing Christ with those around them and he's excited that their influence is is spreading way beyond Colossae and so he is he is rejoicing in that he's encouraging them in that but the purpose of his letter is a little bit ambiguous so Most of the time in the ancient world, the reason someone would write a letter is not just simply to say, hi, right? So we send texts or we send emails or, or whatever, and we don't necessarily have to have a reason. Maybe we just want to connect. But that wasn't the way it was in the ancient world. There was a reason, typically, there was a letter sent because... Uh, writing materials were expensive and it was expensive to get a letter to another person in another town because there had to be a courier and there had to be all these other protections in place and so there was a reason that he was writing and typically it was a significant reason when you wrote to a church and Paul's letter here he's writing because there's some kind of heresy that's going on in the church now the heresy is a little bit ambiguous um, he doesn't exactly come right out and say it for us about what it is but but somehow there is a a de-emphasization of of Christ and his centrality. And so Paul, he is making sure that the people in Colossae know that Jesus is the supreme one. He is the most important one. And not this kind of self-enlightenment, which may have been some sort of like a a pre-Gnosticism, a trusting in this secret knowledge that would somehow give you... uh, knowledge of God and a better relationship with God. He says, it's nothing like that. He said, I want you to have full assurance, not in yourselves, not in what you can muster in your own life, uh, not in what kind of knowledge you can, can uh, gain hold of. No, he said, it's all about Jesus and all about what Jesus did at the cross for you, not in these deluding kinds of teachings that are being offered by other people. And... Um, so when we think about their context, we think about our own context, um, we are surrounded by contrary voices that tell us oftentimes that Jesus is not enough, aren't we? Well, we're surrounded in a culture that says that the Bible is either one, wrong or untrue or it's just insufficient. It's good, but it's not enough. We need more things. We need other things to help us live healthy, uh, live flourishing kinds of lives. And so we uh, we hear about things through, you know, we need affirmation uh, when we go to social media. We feel like that's something that is necessary in our lives for somebody to push the little thumbs up button and say that they like some mediocre thing that we've said on Facebook. We, we need the affirmation to tell us that we're doing well in our lives. We need uh, the, uh, the, the Pseudo-science, pseudo-psychology of, of people like Oprah or Dr. Phil to tell us that uh, we need to do this and this and this in order to fix our problems and move forward with our life. Or perhaps we, we, we hear that we always need medication for this and that and, and uh, in order to move on with problems or to move past bitterness or to forgive someone. But Paul offers us something different here. He offers us a savior instead of a synthetic solution devised by human minds. He tells us this in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, he says, I want you, or excuse me, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. He goes on and he says, that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all The riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Now, notice what he's about to say. In Christ, all of this is found. He says in verse 3, In whom? In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So where do we go for the answers? Where do we go? Do we go to the self-help bookshelf, or shelves at Walmart to find our answer? No. We go to the source of all wisdom and knowledge. Jesus himself is the storehouse of all wisdom and knowledge. So what Paul is getting at is that it's really simple. All we need is Jesus. All we need is Jesus. Which is why Paul picks this same theme up in verse 6 of chapter 2. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, live in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. So we receive Him by faith and then we are to live by faith, entrusting ourselves completely to God's plan and God's purpose for our lives. Resting in Him Completely, And he continues by saying that we should not be be duped by our culture, by the things that our culture is telling us. We we shouldn't go to our culture that is is against God, that that doesn't agree with the Scriptures, that doesn't believe the the, the truth of the Scriptures. We shouldn't go to our culture for the answers for life. He says this in chapter 2. Again, in verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. An empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Who do we go to for the answers when we're struggling through something in our life? Good Jesus. We go to Jesus. We don't go to our culture. Because fixing ourselves is a lot more difficult than just rebranding the problems we just call them something different or or maybe we instead of calling it something different we just blame someone else for the problems that we have in our life or the sin issues that we have in our life this whole thing it's central to who we are we can't simply fix ourselves because it's much deeper than that it's a sin problem it's a heart problem and the only one that can fix this is Jesus and so as we think about this current series that we're in, we're talking about the sufficiency of the Bible in our lives. We've talked about the works that God has planned out for us to do. Pastor Grant has preached on that. He's also preached on uh, the concept that ministry is for all Christians. This is not my ministry. pastors say that all the time? My ministry or something like this. I don't have one, I, it's ours, right? It's not my ministry here at J-Town Baptist. It's our ministry here at J-Town Baptist. Um, it's not just for the clergy, even though it's nice that sometimes hospitals give us that parking spot, right? That's nice. I wish other places gave us the parking spot, but we're still working on that. But it's ours. It belongs to all of us. It's our ministry. We're together in this. Not just pastors or missionaries or something like that it's all of us and now what we want to look at is we, we, we have to consider how God enables us since it's ours to accomplish these works how, how God has has fashioned us so that we can actually perform the work of ministry together And that is what we're looking at here in this passage this morning now in the passage right before the one that we read in verse 12 you go back up to the very beginning of chapter 3 Paul calls the Colossians to remember something really important. He calls them to remember who they are. Now, I think sometimes we miss out on that. As well, oftentimes, we, we forget who we are. We forget what we've been called to and who we have become as a result of Christ. And if we're going to do everything for the glory of God, then we have to remember who we are. Verse 3 of chapter 3, he says, You have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so it's only because of our 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 death to self. It's only because of the the death of our old nature that we can truly live new lives in Christ. And so then he explains that they should they should continually put to death. So, There's ongoing death in your own life as you put to death the things, the tendencies that you have to live earthly to live sinfully in verse 10 he says because we have put on the new self so we've died and we're hidden with Christ and God. in God verse 10 he says put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge there it is again the knowledge after the image of its creator so it's precisely because of that knowledge and that wisdom that can only be found in Jesus Christ that we're able to offer counsel to one another You see, it's not just stuff that we make up in our own minds and say we want to fix one another's problems. No, the knowledge and the wisdom whereby which we can help one another and encourage one another and disciple one another and counsel one another, all of it is found in Christ. Biblical guidance, biblical counsel is the means by which God molds us into the image of Jesus and so as we consider the ministry of biblical counseling or or Christian discipleship we must understand the how if we're going to move forward we recognize that there are works for us to accomplish we understand that all of us are responsible for the ministry of the gospel so we are all supposed to be sharing we're all supposed to be discipling but today what we're going to look at is the how how is it that God enables us to do it what's going on behind the scenes what is happening in our everyday life that God is using to enable us to do the work of ministry and for the glory of God everything for the glory of God that last verse verse 17 look back at your text that last verse is central to everything that we're going to look at today he says whatever you do in word or deed whatever you say whatever you Act on. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So everything for the glory of God. How do we live our lives in that way? Well, three principles I want you to take on with you today. The first one is that in everything we are to be guided by the love of Christ. In everything we are to be guided by the love of Christ. Number two, in everything we are to be ruled by the peace of God. And then finally, in everything... We are to be filled with the word of Christ. So let's look together at the first of these. In everything, be guided by Christ's love. So look back there at verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, Paul has just instructed the Colossians in the passage right before that they ought to put off certain practices. They ought to put off certain activities and so look back at verse 5 you can't really understand why he's saying to put on these things until you understand what he's telling you to put off but this is the very essence of Christian discipleship we don't simply stop doing bad things and think that fixes the problem that creates a vacuum where other bad things will invade so we put off so that we can put something else on so we're putting off the evil deeds, we're putting to death the flesh, and at the same time, we're putting on Christ. That's what he's talking about. So, verse 5, he says, Put to death what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 7, In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. This is what he's talking about. Now, if we're going to, be, if we're going to properly minister to one another, we must first recognize that we are new creations in Christ. And we must constantly submit ourselves as Christians to the renewal process of the Holy Spirit which is called sanctification and it's a day-by-day experience Friends, we cannot give biblical counsel we cannot give guidance godly guidance to one another if we're constantly living in unrepentant patterns of sin if our pattern of life is that we're verbally abusive to our spouse or we're or we're manipulative towards our spouse we're acting upon our passions. We're, we're holding on to our evil desires. How in the world can we be guided by Christ's love, and as we're guided by Christ's love, then minister to others who are struggling in a hard marriage? If those are the patterns that are in our lives, we can. not Or if our, our go-to attitude is, is negative when we go to work, and so we're the person that is always complaining, always saying something that is inappropriate, perhaps. We're supposed to be the people who are putting away slander, putting away malice, putting away anger and obscene talk, but we're not. Instead of setting our minds on the things above, we're focusing our minds on the things below, the things of the world. Paul says to us, Don't do this. Don't do this. Instead, you ought to be guided by the love of Christ. And so he says, You have this newfound identity. He's saying to the Colossians, You're not. You're not just simply Colossians. You're not just simply Gentiles. In fact, that doesn't really even matter anymore because you've been made into something completely different. He reminds them of who they used to be in verse 11. He says, here, there is not Greek and Jew. And at this point, there would have been audible gasps in the crowd. (gasps) Right? That's the distinction. Jews and Greek. He says, there's no circumcised and uncircumcised. Once again, audible gasp. <gasps> really? Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But this is the key. He says, Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He, he speaks to these Colossians, these Gentiles, as though they're the covenant people of God. Holy and beloved chosen. This is language that was describing Israel. And he says, no, this now applies to you because you're no longer a barbarian. You're no longer a Scythian. You're no longer a slave. You're no longer just free. You're no longer a Greek or a Jew. You are now a new creation in Christ. Identity matters. And it's only through understanding that identity that we can now put on what he's telling us to put on. Which means to clothe yourselves with this. Clothe yourselves, not with sinful patterns, but with godly patterns. And what are these patterns? He says, compassionate hearts. Put on a compassionate heart. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, long-suffering, and forgiveness. Now, all of these are really good traits, right? Obviously. But what is the overarching characteristic that Paul is getting at? It's love, isn't it? That's what he's getting at. Remember what he said in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Paul is saying that if we're going to glorify God in everything that we say and everything that we do, we must love one another. That's what he's saying. So if we're going to have an every-member ministry, if we're going to have healthy families in our church, if we're going to have strong marriages in our church we have to love one another we have to love one another and so that means that we're going to have to be patient with the brother who struggles with commitment and follow through it means that we're going to it means that we're going to have to be meek and kind to the the sister in Christ who always feels like it's her responsibility to point out your problems or complain means that we, we we have to endure Even in the hard marriages and we have to be compassionate and we have to give our trust. It means that we we have to openly forgive one another when we are wronged. In everything we are to be guided by Christ's love and his love. Oh, this is so beautiful, is unconditional. That's the kind of love that we are to have a love that that doesn't keep records of wrongs. That always believes the best about other people. It's a love that that never fades with time. A love that chooses sacrifice over selfishness. A love that endures through every trial and every difficulty. We're going to be a church that biblically disciples one another. Both formally through biblical counseling as well as informally through one-on-one discipleship or, or small group discipleship. We must first be guided by the love of Christ. And secondly, we must be ruled by the peace of Christ. Look at verse 15 with me. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You know, in, in relationships, it's so very easy to be ruled by anything and everything besides the peace of God, isn't it? We all have those experiences where something that we were doing didn't go the way that we intended for it to go. And and so whatever it was, it just completely went sideways on us. And then words were said, other people were blamed, and then relationships were wounded. We've all experienced those kinds of things. What Paul is saying here is that if we're going to be putting away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from our mouths, then we ought to be putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be putting on the love of Christ. And if we do that, the result will be the opposite. The result will, will be a life that's, that's not ruled by emotions, not ruled by circumstances, but it's going to be a life that is ruled by the peace of God in Christ. So what does, what does Paul mean when he says peace of Christ? The peace of Christ. He says that we're, we're called into it, which is kind of fascinating when you think about being called into peace. to be a peacemaker, I guess. Well, he explains this a little bit earlier on in the letter, in chapter 1, in fact, chapter 1, verse 19, he says, for that in Him, talking of Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, and here's the key, making peace by the blood of His cross. So we're not to be ruled by our emotions. We're not to be ruled by our negative circumstances, but rather, we are to be ruled by the peace that Jesus has achieved in the gospel. So it means that Every day, as we go throughout our business, as we're interacting with people, we're looking through gospel lenses at the world. So that in every encounter, in every experience, we're measuring it against the gospel. We're finding solace and refuge and encouragement in the gospel when we apply the gospel to our lives in these different circumstances. So when we lose a job and we face financial pressures, we don't despair. Why? Well, the Scripture tells us. It says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? So if God gave Christ His only Son, will He not provide the simplest of things, a job for us? Of course He will. When we experience illness or suffering, we don't give up. Why? Well, the Scripture tells us in the Gospel, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's the gospel that encourages us to push forward. It's the gospel that enables us to stay strong and be faithful, even when it's difficult. When we struggle with sin and we really desire to be holy, but we fail time after time. Do we call it quits? No. Why? It's because of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 3, or excuse me, chapter 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 Paul says that God, who began a good work and you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So when the going gets tough, do we give up? No. No, because the gospel sends us forward. So if we're going to glorify God in everything that we say, and everything that we do, as we minister together, we must be guided by Christ's love. We must be ruled by gospel peace. And finally, we must be indwelt by His Word. In everything, be indwelt by the Word of Christ. Look there at verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, our church covenant states, hopefully everyone's read it, It says, we will humbly practice mutual accountability and compassionately care for one another in order to promote the growth of the whole body in Christian knowledge, purity, and love until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity. Now, if those words are going to be a part of our church DNA, we must, we must be guided by Christ's love. For one, we must be ruled by the peace of Christ that is found in the gospel. And we must be filled up to the brim with the word of God. You remember what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter four, when it talks about the word of God, It says that the word of God is living. Pastor Cameron said that just a few minutes ago is living an active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Paul says that the word of Christ must dwell in us. Well, What does that mean? That it ought to dwell in us. Well, it means that the truth of Scripture must take up residence in our lives. It has to be a part of us. It has to be taken in and held deeply. The principles of God's word must be internalized so that it is a part of us. And this is exactly what the psalmist is talking in Psalm 119 when he says all over the place, but in particular in verse 97, he says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers because your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from evil in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules because you have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. He says earlier in verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is how we fill up with the word of God. We take it in. We're going to be a church that makes disciples. If we're going to be a church that lovingly cares for one another's souls, then we have to be a people of the book. To allow the Word of Christ to dwell richly within you means more than just a surface reading of a verse or two once a week. It means more than that. And For instance, our desire as the pastors here at this church, our desire is that the Word of God would shape everything that we do as a church. It's the reason Pastor Cameron does the things that he does. It's the reason he, he crafts services, and particularly this one. This is an example. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but as we were singing, we sang all of the different kinds of songs that are listed there in the text. Hymns, psalms, spiritual songs. It's the reason he crafts the services so that they're centered upon the word of God and specifically the preaching of the word of God. It's why he ensures that that the scriptures are read in the service. And friends, that doesn't happen everywhere that you go. Where large portions of Scripture are read in the service. We do that because the Word of God is central. That's the reason that He picks the songs that He picks. He doesn't pick songs based upon how good they sound on the radio. He picks songs where the words themselves are lifting up Christ. Showcasing Scripture. So that we can understand Christ more clearly. Pastor Cameron takes Paul's words to heart when he says singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. It's the reason that Pastor Grant maintains what we've been doing for a very long time with Bible-centered discipleship on our Sunday morning Bible study classes. It's the reason that he purposely designs the plan for midweek worship, going through a book of the Bible, the book of Mark. It's the reason that he's working alongside other members in our church to develop an effective biblical counseling ministry both formally as a ministry but also informally through our life groups and even through one-on-one discipleship groups because Pastor Grant takes Paul's words very seriously teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom friends it's the reason that we go through books of the Bible every year we come together on a Sunday morning I don't show up and just decide what I'm going to preach when I walk up here I decide what I'm going to preach in January. Typically. Right, Kim? Typically. But the plan is that we would give ourselves to the Word of God. That we would read it. That we would hear it. That we would take it in. That we would memorize it. That we would meditate upon it. But this... Active pursuit of the word of God cannot just simply be your pastor's pursuit. Not if we're going to have an every member kind of ministry. No, it has to be yours. It means you have to take ownership of this. You have to decide that you're going to give yourself to the filling of the word of God in your heart. It means you have to have independent devotion on your own to his word. You have to read the scriptures. You have to meditate on the Scriptures, you have to memorize the Scriptures. It means that you have to lead your family in reading the Bible and and singing spiritual songs together, cultivating a home of discipleship. Friends, I'm not saying that all that's easy, because I fail just as much as you do in those things. Pastors aren't somehow super-Christians. We're all together. We all know the struggles and the time constraints on reading and studying the Word of God. We all know, especially those of us with young children, how difficult bedtime is and trying to pull 15 minutes out to do something really specific. It can be a challenge. But we have to do it. We have to do it if we're going to be filled with the Word of God. The only way that we can truly glorify God with our lives... By everything that we say and everything that we do is by being guided by Christ's love. It's by being ruled by Christ's peace. And it's by being indwelt by Christ's word. As we reflect upon these things this morning, we remember that God is the one who has saved us. He is the one that has called us to put off those old patterns and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called us to be ministers of a new covenant, discipling one another, counseling one another, encouraging one another. It is our purpose in life to be these ministers. And what we find, even as we've gone through this series, is that in His Word, we find everything that we need to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so may we give ourselves completely to living a life that glorifies God in everything that we say and everything that we do. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that because of your word, Lord, we can be challenged and changed. I pray, Father, for your people this morning, all of us. I pray that you would help us as we contemplate this series Lord, that we would be more confident in the sufficiency of the Bible to guide us to cause change, positive change in our lives by your Spirit. God, help us to be a people who are serious about discipleship and growth. Help us to be serious about taking in the Word of God into our lives, into our heart, ensuring that our families are fed from the Word of God on a regular basis. God, we thank you for the strength of Christ and the provision of his word that you've given. We pray this in Jesus' name.